Um, I don't know if you're new here. If you are new, if you're a, a guest, um, we're thankful that you've come and that you've chosen out of uh, many different places you could potentially be. This morning you're here with us, so thank you for being part of um, this congregation and for uh, meeting us in here. Today is uh, Easter Sunday. I don't know if um, maybe some of y'all just kind of stumbled in here and you're like, wow, I, uh, I, I guess it is Easter. But if you, in case you didn't know, uh, today's Easter, right? So can you just turn to your neighbor and say, Happy Easter. Uh, say, uh, turn to someone behind you, in front of you, happy Easter, it's good to see you. Some time ago, uh, about a week before Easter, uh, this young uh, children's ministry Sunday school teacher um, asked her class, she said, next week is Easter, does anyone know what, what Easter is? And so one child raised her hand and she said, it's the day that we get together with our family and we eat turkey. And uh, the teacher was uh, like, well... You're, you're close, but not quite. Another uh, little boy raised his hand and she said, yeah, what's, uh, what's Easter? said, it's a day that we put up a tree and we put up lights and we get all these presents. And she was a little bit disturbed that um, as they grew up and, and went throughout their days in, in, in church and in Sunday school, they never really got the understanding, got to understand what Easter meant. And, and so she was feeling a little bit uh, kind of uh, bummed out when one uh, little girl raised her hand and she called on her and she said, Easter's a day that Jesus died and then he went into the tomb and, and on the third day he came back to life. And so this teacher was thinking, there is yet hope. There is yet hope for this young generation. And then this child continued and said, and then he came out and, and everyone gathered around the tomb and they went to look and see if he saw his shadow. And if he did, then he'd have to go back in and for six more weeks there would be winter. Uh, we are quite confused at times about Easter, aren't we? It's not just little ones, but it's all of us. So what is Easter really uh, all about? What are we celebrating when we gather together for Easter Sunday? That's, one of, one of, <laughs> that's what I want to talk about uh, today. Um, and we're going to read from someone who wrote 15 to 20 years after uh, this first Easter Sunday uh, happened. And we're going to read from his writing to a church in an ancient city called Corinth what Easter is. It uh, comes from 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 3 through 20. Um, if you have your Bible, uh, or if you've got, maybe you have a, a, a smartphone, um, you, can look, uh, you can look on it in, in there, but I, it should be up on the screen if you don't have it. If you can want to share with your neighbor, you can do that also. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 20. This is God's word. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, meaning the twelve disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, meaning they died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There's no resurrection of the dead, they're not even Christ. Has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. 
But the dead are not raised and Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is God's word. It's amazing, unbelievable truths here uh, contained in, in God's word. I, I want to um, just mention from this text three things that I think are really important. One, um, the longing that you and I, that every person has for the resurrection to be true. Okay, why do we need this to be true? Okay, forget the fact that it, it, whether it's true or not, we long for this to be true. The second thing is the case for why this is true. And then the third thing is the consequences. So what? What does it mean? What does it mean the fa- that, that, that Christ has risen from the dead? What consequence does that have? What difference does that make in our lives? Three things. The first thing, the longing. All of us have to understand one thing. If Jesus Christ raised from the dead, again, I know some of you are thinking, you know what? Even talking about this is, is just, it's just a foolish talk. Right, that someone could rise from the dead. Well, I'll get to that point, but let me, let me try and build a case for why we need to actually think about this. If Jesus Christ raised from the dead, really did rise from the grave, then we have to listen to what he has to say. If he doesn't, then we don't. If he doesn't, then, well, here are the consequences. This is why we need it to be true. Starting in verse 12, uh, starting in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Okay, check this out. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened, as Christians say it did, Christians throughout the last 2,000 years have said that Jesus Christ did raise, rise from the dead. If it, didn't, if it didn't really happen, then our preaching is useless. Here's what that means. It means, I don't have a, it means I'm out of work, for one. But you don't care about that. You don't care if I'm... But here's what it means to you. It means that everything that you've been sitting in church listening to is all empty. It's just foolish talk. It's just empty words. For those of you who have been going to church for many, many years, some of you have been going to church for 50 years, for 30 years, 40 years, and even you young ones have been going for just a a matter of years. Everything you've been taught growing up is is all empty words. It's all false if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But it gets worse. Okay, look. He says, uh, our preaching is useless, verse 14, and so is your faith. Meaning that you've got an empty hope. You've got an empty faith. That all you're doing, Marx is right. Religion is the opiate of the people. If Christ did not rise from the dead, if Jesus Christ did not rise again, then all we're doing every time we gather these songs that we sing is just trying to make us feel good. But at the end of the day, there's nothing to it. You go through hard times in life, right? We all go through hard times in life. Maybe you're going through a hard time in life right now and you believe you put your hope in Christ. You put your faith in God. You begin to pray. If you do that and Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, then our hope is empty. It's just a pipe dream. We're just hoping and wishing that maybe someone up there catches on to something. But if Jesus isn't alive, then our faith is empty. Here's what it means. Here's what I mean. In Korea, uh, there's this kind of out in the sticks. There's this mountain road. Okay. I don't know. Maybe some of y'all have been there. But it's this mountainous, curvy road. And around the curve, um, people would often drive at high speeds. And there'd be a lot of accidents that took place on that road. So here's what the, here's what the, the people did. Is that they put a police officer around that curve so that people began to understand that when we go around this bend, we need to slow down. And so they put a policeman there and the, the incidents of accidents uh, began to decrease. Why? Because people would go around that, that curve and they would realize, you know what? One, this is dangerous, but two, there's a cop there. And if an accident doesn't happen, I'm going to get a ticket here. And so they would say to their friends, hey, 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 slow down because there's a cop up here. 
Right? They would say this in Korean, right? So, hey, 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 slow. There's subtitles coming. There's a cop up there. You need to slow down, right? So they go around the curve and they slow down. Nobody wanted to be the police in this car. You know why? Because it was out in the sticks, right? Nobody wants to be in, in like uh, some Pohit County uh, with, parked in their police car waiting for people to come around the bend. So one guy got smart. He got stationed out there. He didn't want to be there. So he said, you know what? Everyone is beginning to understand that there's a cop car out here. They're going to slow down, right? My job is done. So he, he brought this mannequin, and he put it in the police car, in the driver's seat of the police car. He's like, people don't care. They don't care if I'm, I'm, I'm really here or not. As long as there's some car here and somebody here, they're going to listen to what I have to say. Here's, here's the catch, though. At that, that mannequin, that quote-unquote cop, was effective in trying to kind of restrain and, and, and maintain order. But the moment somebody came to that police for help, they were out of luck because there was no one really there. That police cop was impotent to help anybody in their time of need. And if Jesus Christ has not been raised, then he may restrain your life and, and, and control, control you from, from doing bad things here and there, but if Jesus is not alive, then he is completely impotent to do anything to help you in your life. Do you understand this? Now, every time we close our eyes to pray and Jesus is not alive, then we're talking to as good as a mannequin. That's what he's saying. If Jesus has not been raised, then your faith is useless. It gets worse than that, though. Verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Here's what that means. It means... <laughs> I don't think any, no one likes to be called a liar, right? I don't know. Oh, you liar. Oh, what a great compliment. You know, thank you for calling me that. No one, uh, my Facebook feed yesterday showed me that one of our congregation members had filled out a survey. You know, they do these online surveys and, and then they uh, show you the results. And sometimes you have to click on it in order to see what they said. But this one wasn't like that. It said, um, what is the worst thing someone could do in a relationship? And our, uh, our parishioner, uh, his one word answer was lie. Because none of us want to be lied to. And none of us want to lie. Even when you're, even when you're playing a game that is predicated about, upon lying. You, you guys know this game, Mafia, right? This whole game, the basis of this game is it's built on the fact that you've got to lie to other people. But why is it that people get so angry after the game is done? Right? They hold these grudges. We need to have prayer meetings to confess our sins. And I'm so sorry for Why is it that people get so, it, take it so personally? Well, here's why. Because no one wants to be called a lie. No one wants to be lied to. I can't believe you lied to me. Why not? That's the whole nature of the game. It's like a football saying, I can't believe you threw me. That's how you play the game. Right? I can't believe you lied to me. Why? This is how we're supposed to play. And then at the end of the game, I can't believe it. I can't believe you lied to me. Oh, and I can't believe, oh, why, why didn't you trust me? Why didn't you believe me? Did you think I was lying? Of course I thought you were lying. That's what we do in this game. But we take it personally because no one wants to be lied to. And nobody wants to be seen as a liar. Here's what Paul is saying. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you've been punked big time. This has been the most colossal Ashton Kutcher to the infinite degree punked episode ever that for 2,000 years, everyone has been on it and you've been in on, on it also. This is a worse deceit than any cult leader. That everyone has been in on this, you're, you're a false witness. And so is everyone else who proclaims Christ if Christ has not been raised. Again, it gets worse than that. Look, verse 17, second part says, you are still 
in your sins. If Jesus Christ has not been raised in all those crummy things that you've ever done in your life, that you're still in your sins and the punishment for those sins is still coming. In other words, he's saying there's no mercy for you. I know if you guys are uh, old enough to remember the original Karate Kid movie. Before there was Jaden Smith, there was this guy named Ralph Macho. And, and back in those days, it was a little bit more believable that this, uh, this master could really take a normal human being and then make him into this like karate champion because um, Jaden Smith was like twice as strong as the original karate kid. But in this movie, there's this, uh, there's this, this part where um, the bad guys, right, who wear their black, uh, their black uniforms, um, they are in their training school and their teacher, their sensei, sensei tells them, the enemy, whenever you see them on the street, the enemy is bad. Now, you need to do away with them. There's no mercy, right? You show them no mercy. And that was like their, their catchphrase for these guys with the black uh, cutoff you know, uniforms and stuff. It was, no mercy. Mercy is for the weak. And so uh, there, you know, the storyline goes, and, and, and these bad guys are, are ready to beat up this, this one guy who's being trained by this like ancient uh, uh, ancient master, Mr. Miyagi. And so finally, it, this all comes to head at the, at the final championship fight. There's this tournament, and the bad guys are fighting against this karate kid. And everyone knows that these bad guys are supposed to just completely wipe the floor with this kid. And so this kid is, is, is un, uh, surprisingly, because he's got a great master, is doing well, and he's winning his matches. And it gets to this one point in the fight where um, this bad guy named Johnny Lawrence He's the, he's the like all-American boy blonde and all the girls love him except that he's a – well, the girls who love the bad boys. He's a bad boy. And so this one, one scene in, the, in, in this tournament that just gives everyone chills when uh, we watch it. Daniel's got this like, uh, you know, whatever it is. And, and, and so the, the master, the sensei looks at his prize student and he says, sweep the leg, right? He says, sweep the leg, which is illegal, but it could completely cripple this guy. He says, sweep the leg. And Johnny just like looks at him, like incredulous, like, you really want me to do that? And the sensei looks back at him, says, you have a problem with that? <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> he goes, no sensei. And then the, the teacher looks back at him. He says, no mercy. And this is what Paul is saying here. Like, look, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then there is for you and me no mercy when it comes to our relationship with a God who can do so much worse than just sweep our leg. He's saying, you're still in your sins. And when you stand before him on judgment day, there's no mercy available for any of us. It gets worse than that. It says in verse 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, if it's all you've got, then we are to be pitied more than all men. I had empty witnesses, empty words, empty, what, what all this stuff. He says, at the end of the day, you've got an empty life. That's all it is. I feel sorry for you if Christ has not been raised. You see, there's a longing in my heart for this to be true. I desperately need this to be true for all of these reasons, for all of these reasons. And I would venture to say that all of us, deep in our hearts, we want and need and long for this to be true. You know, C.S. Lewis said there's a, there's a huge temptation in our lives. It's a huge temptation in our lives to believe something just because it's good and not because it's true. You get this? C.S. Lewis, who's a, a much greater thinker than I am, said this. It's not, my, not me making this. He said there's a, tent, there's a temptation in our lives to believe something just because it's good and not because it's true. 
the Magic are going to win the NBA championship this year. We want to believe that because that's good. We don't care that it may not be true. We want to believe it just because it's good. So the question is, is this really true? Because if it's not, then this is our life. If it is, then we got to begin to listen to what he has to say because it could change everything about the way we live. The case then for why this is true, and I I believe with all of my heart this to be true, and I I hope that as we go through these next 10 minutes that you'll see this also. Verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. Understand this, when he talks about for what I received, I passed on to you. Okay, this language of receiving and passing is used in rabbinic Judaism to explain something that has been considered to be authoritative truth. You never use receiving and passing in terminology to talk about something that's mythical, that's fiction, that's I hope this to be true, that's a theory. Receiving and passing is something that is only used to communicate that which is accepted, readily accepted as a universal truth. Fifteen years after these events happened, everyone in and around Jerusalem, Corinth, Rome, throughout the Roman Empire were believing beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Before you, oh yeah, these people 2,000 years ago are primitive. They're dumb. They're cavemen. I know that maybe in our worldview, it doesn't fit that a dead person would come out of a grave and would begin walking around. But it it would be intellectually Uh, elitist for us to think that we are 2,000 years later, we are so much smarter than these dumb people who lived back in those days. Now, it was in their world, it was equally, if not more absurd for them to think that a dead person would rise and begin to walk because in their culture, they believed in no such thing as an afterlife. They believed in no such thing as a resurrection from the dead. For them, in their mindset, the only way that they could go around and pass this on as truth is if they really, in their heart of hearts, understood that this historical event really did happen. That it really did happen. Within this short 15 to 20 year time frame, people began talking about it. They began talking about it. And even non-Christian historians, people who had no vested interest in saying that this really happened, Josephus, Pliny the Younger, and, and countless others said that this really did happen. Right, that there were non-Christian people who were recording history who interviewed people who said, we saw a dead man come alive. We saw a man who was Jesus, Messiah, nailed on a cross, and he was walking in the streets of Jerusalem and beyond many years, uh, many days, uh, uh, for 40 days after these uh, people began to say that he really did it. Why did, they, why did they believe that he raised from the dead? Simply put, uh, simply put, there was an empty tomb. When they went to check it out, they went to check it out. This, this group of people, this Jesus movement began with just 12 people. Actually, one of them left, uh, killed himself, 11 people and a handful of women. And yet this movement began to spread and it began to transform the most powerful empire in those days. And how did all this happen? Because these people believed that a dead man was seen walking the streets of Palestine. They went and they saw that the tomb was empty. Who was who were the first people to see it? It was women. And immediately this was discounted because they're like women. Uh, women were uh, so uh, written off in that society that their testimony wasn't even considered uh, wasn't even considered plausible in a court of law. There was pressure when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John began to write about the fact that these women, Mary Magdalene and others, went to the tomb first, and they saw that the tomb was empty. 
There was pressure to get rid of that because they're like, no one's going to believe this. If someone was fabricating a story, if you're writing, creating a story in those days, and you wanted to show that this Jesus had risen from the dead, you would not say that women were the first witnesses. Why in the world did these gospel writers say it then? The only reason they would have is because that's the way it really happened. They went to the tomb and it was empty and they went and they began to tell everybody that Jesus is not in the tomb. There was so much pressure in these days. The Roman Empire wanted to snuff this out and they knew that there was this talk that the Jesus people were saying that he's going to rise from the dead. And so they stationed all of these guards there and put the seal over the tomb to make sure that there was no hoax. Jewish people came and they saw, the Jewish authorities saw that the tomb was empty. They began spreading this rumor that the disciples had stolen the body. You see, even these Romans and the Jews understood that I don't care what happened to Jesus. Okay, whether he raised from the dead or not, the reality is that the tomb that Jesus was laid was empty on the third morning. Okay, they couldn't deny that reality. Whether a miracle actually did take place or not, that tomb was empty and Jesus, the one that was nailed on a cross, was no longer in the tomb. Okay, whatever you think about Jesus and this miracle of the raised life, Either way, we have to deal with the fact that that tomb was empty, heavily guarded by Roman soldiers, and they, didn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't give an explanation for it. If someone had stolen the body, the only thing that needed to happen was they just need to produce a body. But in 2,000 years, they've never done that. But here's what people said. Here's what people said. That over a period of the next 40 days, there were countless eyewitness testimonies of people who said, I saw Jesus Christ. I saw him with my eyes. Right, and he get, begins to give in the New Testament, 18 independent witnesses say they saw the risen Jesus. And then here in verse uh, starting in verse five, he appeared to Peter, then to the 12. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers The 12. It's, it's saying there was the 11 and then they added a new one. OK, by the time this was written, he appeared to more than 500 brothers. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, oh, my gosh, this is true. Everybody saw him. Right? Everyone saw him. Don't you hate when people say that? And someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, you know what? I hate to say this to you, but everyone thinks you're annoying. Right? And you come back and you say, like who? Everyone. Everyone thinks you're annoying. Well, tell me who. I don't want to tell you who. But everyone thinks that. They're just afraid to say it to you. When someone says that, what are they trying to say? When they say everyone saw it, why don't they? They're not telling you names because they don't want you to go and ask them. They don't want you to go and check it out. Oh, you know why? Here, Joshua said you're annoying. And Carl said you're really annoying also. Okay, let me go and ask him. Because if he doesn't think I'm annoying, then what you've said is a lie. Paul's not saying, oh my gosh, guys, OMG. If he's writing today, he's writing to his letters, writing to his people in Corinth, sending them a text message, LOL, he's alive. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) OMG, everybody saw him. He's saying, look, here are the pe- there are people who actually saw him. James, Peter. The reason why he begins to list these people, he's like, these people are still alive. These people are still alive. You go and you ask them what they saw and see if they, see if they tell you otherwise. I think these people saw him and they're still alive to verify this with you. Go and ask them. Ask them what they saw. Ask them what they experienced. Ask them what they felt. You see, if you've got... If you've got an empty tomb, but no witnesses, then you've got, a, you've got a robbery. If you've got witnesses, but no empty tomb, you've got a hallucination. 
But if you've got an empty tomb and you've got eyewitnesses, then you've got something here that you've got to really take into consideration. What in the world is going on here? See, law professors and lawyers from Harvard to Oxford to everywhere in between, journalists from the Chicago Tribune and other places, have set out to disprove that this resurrection happened. But the conclusion that they continually come to out of all of the ancient events that this is the one most well-attested, most well-evidenced event in the history of modern civilization. And the rise of the Christian movement and the beginning of the church took place as a result upon the back, upon the shoulders of this one great moment in time. Why is it for 2,000 years that the Jews worshipped, the followers of, of, of Yahweh worshipped on Saturday? And then all of a sudden, They began worshiping on Sunday because they saw the risen Lord. You know how hard it is to get anyone to change anything after 2,000 years? Oh, my goodness. After 2,000 days of doing something, I don't want to change it. I don't want to change that. But 2,000 years and then, bam, in a moment's time, everything changes. They begin to worship. They begin to worship on Sunday because that's the day the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and the world has never been the same. At the case for... If you bring it into a court of law, this is a smoking gun. That Jesus Christ, the one they called the Messiah, raised from the dead and showed himself to multiple people over a period of 40 days. And from that, a movement began that is still touching every corner of the earth. Last thing then, what what does that mean for us? What are the consequences of this? Basically, it's everything that we talked about in the first point reversed. Our preaching does matter. You have a hope that matters. Your faith matters. Your life matters. Your sins can be forgiven. Oh, my goodness. If Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead, then everything is different. A new day has dawned, and it has everything to do with how we live life. You know, if someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, you know what? I saw Bigfoot, or I saw the Loch Ness Monster, whatever that, that's cool. Okay, you're a little bit weird, but that's fine. But, hey, you know what, Uh, a bunch of people see Bigfoot. That's cool. You know, you guys are strange. But uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't really make a big difference when they, oh, oh, you know what, Uh, we actually, like, you and I actually go and we find Bigfoot. That's cool. It's not really going to make that big a difference in our lives, right? But if Jesus Christ really did raise from the dead and we believe it, then here's what it means. One, the first thing it means is that our past is forgiven. I think every single one of us needs to know this. That again, all of those rotten things that you've done, all of those mistakes, quote unquote mistakes that you made that you feel is so reprehensible that nobody could ever forgive me. Hey, think about this Apostle Paul. Do you know anyone who's, and I don't want you to raise your hand if you've ever killed somebody, but maybe you know somebody who has, right? We have, um, we have a, a person who was a four-star general in the army and his, he, he became a follower of Jesus Christ and his deepest like the biggest thing that he, he has the hardest time in coming to grips with is the fact that he was responsible for the death of so many people in the Korean War. This Paul was worse than that. He was responsible for the death of countless people. And here's the reality, is that 15 years afterwards, he's friends with, chummy chummy with, people whose relatives he had killed. And he's living in this reality. And yet he says, because Jesus Christ is risen by the grace of God, verse 10, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. That I'm no longer living in my sins. 
that, look, my friends, you don't have to live under the weight and the guilt and the condemnation of mistakes that you've made in the past. How do you know that someone, someone does a crime and they go to jail? How do you know that that sentence has been fully served? That when they're done, the prison doors are flung open and they're never to be shut on them again. And when Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he came out of that tomb, the prison doors were thrust wide open. That the sentence has been paid, that he took your place, that he took your guilt, he took your punishment on the cross. And in his resurrection, it's the exclamation point saying that the father has received the due punishment for your sins and for mine because he laid it upon his son. That your sins and mine, our past can be forever completely wiped out and he remembers it no more. But beyond that, he says, your present, your present has a purpose. There's a reason for living now that you don't go through blindly from, uh, uh, from, from, from life and, and waiting until you die. And then that's it. Right? There's more to life. You've got a reason to live. These people, as soon as they begin to see that Jesus Christ was alive, they begin and they begin to spread this message because it's the greatest news that anyone could ever hear. One of the people it says here, the first person, actually not the first person, the last name that's named beside before the Apostle Paul in verse 7, he appeared to James. Who is James? Well, James would later go on and write an epistle, a letter that's, uh, that bears his name. But he grew up as a half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine this? Hey, this is crazy. Can I don't know. I'm trying to think of who of y'all have siblings in here, but you're growing up and he's the same guy that you went like to the YMCA with and had swimming practice. I don't know what it is. He's a guy that you, you guys played hopscotch together. You played a uh, badminton. You played basketball together with this. And, and you realize maybe growing up, why is he, why is he never cheat? Why am I always the one cheating? And, but he's always doing good things. But, but you, you begin to realize that maybe there's something a little bit different about him. But then he, he, he hits 30 years old and he begins going around telling people that he's the Messiah, that he's a chosen one. He's a king. He's the one that all of your nation has been waiting for for all of these years. And you're like, hold on. I know that you never lost a game, or even if you did lose a game, you never lost your temper. But for you to go around and say that you're the king, come on now. There are times when Jesus would be going around and, and telling these people, and, and they said, hey, Jesus, your family's at the door. Your mom and your brothers, they're like, come out. Jesus, we got to take you home. We got to take you to the asylum because you're a little bit weird in the head right now. This is the same James, and he's seeing all of these things, and he's like, Jesus, I don't know what you've been, <laughs> I don't know what you've been, been drinking, but I ain't had the same Kool-Aid as you. And he, he's, he's thinking about all of these things. And, and that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, James' life is transformed. What was it that changed his life? He saw his crucified brother come out of the grave. And he saw him walking and talking. And he said, this is the same one. This is my brother. This is Jesus. And he said, surely you are the son of God. It changed his life. You know what it led him to do? It led him to go and, and, and preach the gospel. And they said, finally, they got a hold of this guy because he was telling too many people about Jesus. They took him to the top of the temple and they threw him down. This is a historical record. They threw him down and he fell, but he continued to preach. So people took rocks and they started throwing it at him. They started stoning him. He continued to preach. He said, I don't care what you do to me. Because I know what I've seen. I know what I believe until somebody finally said enough's enough. They took a club and they beat him on the head and crushed his skull and he died. Why would he do that for a lie? Why would he do that if he didn't actually see? And every single one, actually 11 of the 12 remaining disciples went to their grave with this knowledge that we saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And he's living and he's changed our lives. Now you see Bigfoot. Right? Maybe some of you say you've seen Bigfoot. 
Somebody holds a gun to your head. Have you really seen Bigfoot? Okay, my bad. I'm just playing. <laughs> Hold up, man. Why get all, all serious with me? I'm just playing, man. But every single one of these witnesses went to the grave because they knew what they saw. Blaise Pascal, the great thinker, mathematician, philosopher, said, I put my hope, I believe in the ones who had their, their, their throats slit. I put my faith in their testimony. And he believed. Why would they go to their grave? Because our future is in heaven for those who believe. And why? Why would they die for something like that? Maybe, maybe suffer, maybe get a little paper cut, but that's it. But give my life? Holy cow. I mean, that's a high cost. Because they realize that even if they were to die, the promise of their crucified, now risen Messiah is that I'm preparing a home for you in heaven. No matter what they do to you, you have a home. That death is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's a doorway into life as it was meant to be lived. Into a new world, into a new home, into a new relationship. And these people said, you know what? I don't care what they do to me. They could kill my body, but they'll never steal my soul. And they gladly gave their lives. Even the worst thing that can happen to us, death, becomes a doorway. Cancer, yeah, I, I, I don't ever want to cheapen the reality of people suffering. Because we all know people who've gone through that. But they can face it with a confident assurance that even if this is it in this life, that I've got a future hope that is indestructible and that no one will ever steal from me. If the resurrection is true, if the resurrection really is true, then it has everything to do with all of our lives. You could believe in Bigfoot. Someone could say Bigfoot is real, but you'll never, it'll never affect your life. But this is what Jesus said early on in his ministry. He said to all who believed in him, I'm sorry, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And this is who we are if we have faith in him. Let's pray together. My friends, this message of Easter, resurrection, Christianity, nobody's telling you to take a blind leap into the unknown. There's a reason why people have given their lives and they've done it gladly, facing death because they knew that which awaited them. This has everything to do with your life and mine. Maybe as you come here today, uh, you're just a, an Easter and Christmas kind of person. That's cool. You know, we're, we're totally glad that you've come. But maybe if that's you, or maybe if, if you've been coming to church for a long time, and you thought, this coming to church makes me a Christian. This is not. And each of us has to make a choice to surrender our lives to him. If that's you, I hope and pray that the Lord God was speaking to you today. And he continues to do so and is still speaking now. I, I, we don't do this often here, but I, I wonder if there's anyone in here who just feels like, yeah, you know what? I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are, but what you said makes sense to me. I think I need a savior. 
who will forgive me of my sins, who will give me a reason to live, who will be with me in the hard times of life, and who will promise me that if I were to die, I would have a home with him forever. With all of us uh, praying and closing our eyes, if there's anyone like that between us and between the Lord, maybe if that's you, I just want to invite you to just slip up your hand real quick. You don't have to do this. You don't have to make a big demonstration of it. If there's anyone like that, you just raise your hand. I want to um, just see you so that we can get together and talk afterwards. Anybody like that just feels like, you know what, I, I need I need this message in my life. I need this Jesus in my life. I've made mistakes. I've failed. But to know that I can be accepted by him. If anyone like that, just um, feel free to raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come up here or anything like that. But All right, very good. For, uh, for those in here who have responded, I just want to invite us to pray together. I'm just going to pray a prayer, and if you can just repeat that prayer in your heart. I'm just going to pray over us and, and just as these words come out of my mouth, make it your own and, and, and allow your heart to open to receive what Jesus has for you. And then let's, uh, yeah, let's get together and talk after. Dear Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for living a perfect life and then dying on a cross for my sins. Thank you for rising again and giving me hope and giving me life. I believe that you've done that for me. Pray that you would live in me. Help me to be the man, the woman that you've called me to be. Thank you for this hope. Come in, be my master, be my king. I love you because you've loved me first. In Jesus' name we pray.